Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 234 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is VP of Engineering at Glitch. He was previously a founder and CTO at Empatico, CTO at Kickstarter, VP of Services at Docker, and a CTO in residence at Microsoft. He is also author of several books, including Monitoring with Prometheus and the Docker book. So welcome to the podcast, James Turnbull. Hi. James, so that was obviously a brief introduction. Could you perhaps tell us a little bit about what you're doing at the moment with Glitch? Sure. So Glitch is a, I guess, a code editor and hosting platform. So we, we're really uh, building a tool that makes it easy for people to build apps and run those apps, see the results immediately. We, we find that the learning experience for a lot of folks, I don't know if you remember most people's very first forays into sort of engineering and programming uh, was often things like HTML and like it's like make a change, press the refresh button, make a change, press the refresh button. This is essentially like that, except that we have a lot of folks who use Node or Python or, or, or things like that to allow you to sort of see what's happening and run an app that might interest you. We get lots of folks building productivity tools or we have a lot of viral apps. There's some folks who track the uh, a bunch of K-pop bands using little apps that download oh, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the playlist counts for, for various K-pop songs and things like that. Cool. Okay. And this is something quite recent for you. Yes. I've been in the job about three months. Right. And before that with Microsoft, I think? Yes. I was uh, running Microsoft sort of, uh, it's called Microsoft for Startups. Uh, I was running uh, the technical side of that program. I was the CTO in residence. And it's essentially about helping Microsoft understand the startup community and helping the startup community understand Microsoft. So, James, can you share with us perhaps a career tip, one that the audience may not be aware of and perhaps should be? Yeah, I think the big one for me is don't assume you're going to be doing the same job forever. I, I talked to a lot of junior engineers and, and they um, they told me like, I want to be a front-end engineer. And I, I, I'm like, okay, you, why? And they're like, oh, because I really like JavaScript. I'm like, cool. And, and I think to myself, uh, in 10 years' time, will you still remember being a front-end engineer or will you have gone on to be a back-end engineer or a DevOps person or a data engineer or whatever it happens to be? So I always say to people, don't fixate on a job title, fixate on on jobs that excite you. Sure. So presumably that's also the same in terms of programming languages as well. Obviously you mentioned JavaScript, but who knows in 10 years' time that may be obsolete. Yeah, I can probably program in four languages that I don't think anyone outside of a handful of people still use. So... Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cool. Okay. James, can you tell us about your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? This is very embarrassing. So many years ago, when I was quite young, I worked at a casino and uh, all of the back-end gaming systems were run by a, a computer that I managed. And um, it was a Friday uh, at lunchtime and I was scheduling some maintenance for Sunday night when the, um, the casino is at its sort of lowest ebb. And uh, I was going to, I think it was like 3am Sunday night, I was scheduling a four. And I fat fingered the schedule and he'd enter. 
and uh, it immediately launched the maintenance, which shut down the machine and started loading a patch in. Uh, the entire casino's gaming systems shut down, so all the poker machines, all of the tables, because they're all electronically managed and controlled, all of the cages, all of the things that were, essentially the entire operation of the casino shut down. And uh, this was at like, I don't know, 12.45 p.m. on a Friday afternoon, which is a, which is a fairly busy time for a casino. Thank God it wasn't Friday night, but um, it's a pretty rough time. And um, <laughs> yes. So for about an hour or so, the casino was not making any money. And needless to say, uh, as soon as I realized what I did, I realized I couldn't back out of it and I had to keep it running. So I walked straight into the CTO's office and I said, look, this is what happened. This is what I've done. Um, this is what I think it's going to take. I've notified the help desk. You know, here's all the steps I've taken. I'm perfectly okay now if you just fire me. And he was like, he started laughing and he said, um, you did a stupid thing and we're going to talk about that, but you've done the right thing. You've fessed up. You've kept under the control. You followed the process. You've launched an incident. This stuff happens. And uh, what I learned from that, I think, was IT is complicated. Um, infrastructure is complicated. You make mistakes. These things happen. It's what you learn from those mistakes and what you work out how to do better next time. And also fessing up. I know a lot of people, I'm always coming across people who are like, yeah, I broke this thing, but I never told anybody. And I'm like, that's not okay. Like, that's not really not okay. But, you know, there are some organizations that are pretty punitive. So I guess it's a difficult line to walk. Indeed. I mean, your CTO was obviously very understanding and uh, was quite happy for uh, the, the situation to be resolved. But of course, there are companies that have a culture which, as you suggest, is more of a blame culture. So, yeah, you, I suppose you were quite fortunate in that respect. I didn't hear the end of it for the entire time I worked there. In fact, um, uh, it, it was included in the speech that was given when I left. <laughs> uh, and I still bump into people who work there who, 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 who say, oh, you remember the time you? And I'm like, yes, that was 20 years ago. And I still remember it vividly. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember lots of things at that time. I can't remember what my apartment looked like at the time, but I can vividly remember exactly what I felt for that four or five minutes when I realized what I'd done. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, can, I can imagine, yes. Okay, so moving away from your worst moment, can you perhaps tell us about your career highlights so far? I'm proud of having built some really amazing teams that built some really amazing product. A couple of jobs ago, I was the founding CTO at a, at a not-for-profit called Impartico that builds uh, educational software to help elementary school students, um, what are uh, primary school students, I guess, in, in the UK and in Australia, learn empathy skills. So, uh, you know, built a product and a team from scratch, raised money. Um, so that that's something I'm, I'm immensely proud of. That product is used by, you know, I think the last count is sort of 20-odd thousand, 25,000-odd teachers. You know, it's touched a whole bunch of students. And, and uh, you know, I think, I think that's something that I'll be proud of for the rest of my life. And the other thing I think is probably every now and again, I'll bump into somebody who tells me, you remember when we had this conversation or do you remember when you took a chance on me or... I would, there was a meme on Twitter of, a few months ago where people were like, you know, talk about the, some of the peoples that really influenced you. And four or five people said that, uh, like, I, I, I'd done things. And, and some of them I barely remembered. And I, I was sort of, I was quite moved. I was sort of like, wow, that little thing I did actually had a huge impact on someone's life. Uh, paying it forward really actually does. Like, it's a powerful stuff. It is. Yeah, I think you're right. And it also sort of gives you that... I don't know, almost like a continued enthusiasm or a bit of a boost to your own career as well. Yes, yes. 
So, James, can you tell us what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? I think the same thing that excites me, also terrifies me, is that things change. Like, this is not a boring job. Like, like the technology I used 25 years ago when I started out my career is, is different. I was thinking the other day, I didn't even own a mobile phone, a cell phone until I was sort of 19 or 20, um, which obviously dates me. But um, <laughs> the amazing things that I can do with the phone that I can hold in my hand that, that you know, I couldn't do with a desktop 25 years ago. And as with the change, you know, it, it's constantly challenging. You have to constantly reinvent yourself and you have to constantly learn new things. And I find that really exciting, but it's also kind of terrifying because I'm, I'm, my next big birthday is 50 and uh, I feel a bit like a dinosaur some days. Um, and uh, I have people who, who, who work with me who are, who are young enough to be my kids. So, uh, yeah, that's a disconcerting feeling. Yeah, yes. Overall, it is the fact that this industry moves so fast and, and it's fascinating to see what, what technology appears and how it's used and, and cool products and immensely excited about, about where things go. I'm assuming, obviously, it doesn't go towards a, a singularity and the AIs take over and kill us all, which would be very unfortunate. But um, uh, assuming that doesn't happen, I'm pretty excited to see what happens with technology over the next sort of... So are there any particular technologies that excite you right now or any direction that technology is going in that you have an interest in? I do. Um, I'm very interested in uh, adaptive technologies, voice recognition, um, technologies that people can use, um, particularly people with disabilities. I think that, that technology is a great leveler um, and we, we're not good at implementing it that way, but providing access to information, capabilities, education, uh, opportunities that people might not otherwise have in places like in, for people with disabilities, um, in places in third world countries, uh, for folks who are refugees or who, who are homeless or pe- people who, who need, you know, the, the, the people in our society that need the most help. I'm, I'm fascinated to see what we can do with technology that, that sort of helps bridge some of those gaps and helps make a difference to most people's lives. Yeah, that's, that's uh, an interesting area, definitely. Um, we're going to go into the reveal round now, and we're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? Sure. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? Uh, money. I was a student. I was poor. I was like, wow, IT people make lots of money, comparatively speaking, to I have a liberal arts degree. Most of the people I knew were librarians and, and, and sort of folks in that sort of line of work, um, as, which is I did, what I did. And uh, I was like, these IT people. This money thing, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so did that sort of realisation happen during your degree? Uh, yes and no. Um, I had a part-time job working in a library and um, I stacked books um, and uh, the library was run with by an AS400 and uh, the AS400 broke one afternoon and someone on the staff said, oh, James knows about computers, which I think consisted of me. I must have talked about computer games once or something like that. So I marched <laughs> off into the computer room and they said, can you fix it? And I thought hell, I'll give it a shot. And uh, so I read a couple of, those would be pile of manuals. I read a couple of manuals. I found an error code in the front of the machine, found the reference manual, had the error code, said, type this. I thought, all right, can't make it any worse, surely. Type this, enter, and it started back up again. And I'm like, huh, this technology thing might might be a might be something I'm good at. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, real, real hands-on first experience. Yes, very much so. Yeah. What is the best career advice you've ever received? I think the best career advice I've ever received is treat everyone you work with 
with respect and with kindness and with empathy. A, it's the right thing to do, and B, you never know when it's going to come around and bite you. Um, many years ago, the piece of person who gave me that piece of advice uh, many years ago, I, I was uh, working at a company that was outsourced to another company, and the outsourcer had made a hideous there was a there was a disaster, and um, I was responsible for the retrospective with the outsourcer, and it did not go well, and the so person on the outsourcer side was running the um the the contract it was not a good engagement and about four years later I, I walked into a job interview and realized the person I was interviewing with was um the man who managed that contract and uh, I was like huh uh, and he said nope I don't take that personally like it was a bad situation like the important lesson here is that I respect the work you did you respected the work I did it was wasn't a great situation but like here we are and I uh, I've always found that's a a useful, it was a useful piece of advice, and I also found that it, it applies in multiple situations. Um, I've certainly, I've had people who worked underneath me in organisations who I've ended up working for, and vice versa. Uh, you, if you don't foster those relationships, uh, can make for some very awkward situations. It can, yes. So, yeah, as you say, you can often meet people subsequently in your career, and it's definitely worth making the effort, isn't it, that, that you should treat people as you'd expect to be treated yourself? Yes, the golden rule kind of works there. And what is the worst career advice you've ever received? I think it was the part of my career where I said, money, that's a good reason to pursue IT. And uh, <laughs> on the occasions where I've made decisions based on fiscal stuff, obviously in some circumstances, you know, I, I needed to make certain amounts of money and, uh, you know, I had mortgages and, and, and family and stuff like that. But um. Ultimately, where I have made decisions where I was primarily motivated by money, I have found that I've made poor choices. Um, right. And uh, several people have, have, I think, have told me that over the years, like that this is not a good way to think about um, your career. And uh, it took me a couple of hard lessons to learn that. And if you were to begin your career again in today's world, what would you do? I like to think that I'd probably end up doing infrastructure things again. As I sort of started my career in that space, um, I find things like availability and distributed systems and the mechanics of running large-scale systems at scale and systems theory I find fascinating. Um, But I suspect, realistically, I'd probably end up as an Android or an iOS developer. I think that's where a lot of folks start, um, or maybe a front-end person of some kind. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? I don't know. I don't know. I have a have a distinct plan. Um, I think the things I'm focusing on the moment is is um, I come from a very strong product engineering background, and uh, I like those skills. Uh, I like getting better at them. I like building teams. So I guess my career goals are around sort of honing those skills, getting better at, at being a, a leader, and, and getting better at building amazing product. What's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? Listening. Definitely listening. Yes. It's a much underrated skill. It is very much so, yeah. And what do you do to keep your own career energised? I think that's uh, one of the reasons I write technical books is, is because it's sort of, it's a way to expose myself to things that I might not otherwise get exposed to technology-wise or, or, or concept-wise. Um so I, I do a lot of reading, I do a lot of writing, uh, I try to speak at a few events and conferences, um, I do things like this. So I've got a, I'm talking to a six-person postgraduate class in, in university in the Midwest tomorrow morning who want to talk about monitoring. And the, 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 one of the, the TA of the class reached out to me and said, 
like we're just read one of your books. We're really interested in monitoring. We can't, there's no, we can't find anyone near us who's an expert. Would you spend half an hour, an hour talking to other students about, about why monitoring matters and how, and like some theory stuff around that. And I was like, eh, that sounds like fun. And so, uh, yeah, I, things like that really keep me interested. Sure. Are you going to them to do that or is it online? All online. I, I, I am, I definitely, uh, <laughs> yeah, I might, I might have a few things to explain to my team if um, I jumped on an airplane for an hour as uh, a <laughs> chat with some students in the Midwest. <laughs> um, yes, I did yeah. wonder, yeah. <laughs> and what do you do in your spare time away from technology? I do a lot of reading, uh, as in as in fiction. Um, I like art a lot, so I can see a lot of art. I collect antique maps, and uh, I have an interest in sort of uh, antique coins as well which I could afford to actually collect. But um, uh, I don't know, just sort of um, I come from a liberal arts background. Uh, I'm deeply fascinated by, by history and politics. Um, so I probably spend a lot of time, particularly in the current climate, um, thinking about politics and hoping we learn some lessons from history. Yes, indeed, yes. And James, could you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT Career Energizer audience? Be open-minded. And particularly if you're starting out in a career, don't be afraid to to ask for things. Uh, I often find that engineers tell me that they took a first job and they never asked about how they're going to be onboarded or how they're going to be trained or mentored. And it turned out to be an awful experience and it nearly drove them out of the industry. I was like, in interviews, don't be afraid to ask about things like, what's the onboarding plan? Do I get a mentor? Yeah. How do I become like a fully performing member of the team? And if they don't have an answer, that's probably a pretty strong signal. Yes, indeed, yes. And finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? I'm on Twitter for my sins, which is uh, at Carter, K-A-R-T-A-R. Um, if you're interested in my books, it's turnbull.press on the web. Otherwise, um, yeah, I mean, Twitter's probably a, a great way to get a hold of me. I, I, my DMs are open. I'm always happy to chat with folks, always happy to uh, answer questions. I do a bit of career counselling for folks as well. If you buy me a cup of coffee, I'm happy to happy to pontificate. <laughs> James, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. It's been fun. Hi, Phil here again. Now, if you thought about being a guest on the show yourself, or you have somebody in mind that might be a good guest, please do let me know. You can reach me on Twitter, where I'm at Phil Tech Career, or you can find me on LinkedIn, or you can even contact me through the website which is itcareerenergizer.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.